Hi, welcome to episode 19 of Talking Pathways, the podcast that gives you practical, real-world golden nuggets for how you can fast-track your success, both personally and professionally. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Lee Phillips. Lee, welcome to Talking Pathways podcast. Thank you, Royston. Thank you. Um, Lee will give more context in terms of background in the moment, but I'm really excited with what we're going to be talking about today, and I'll, I'll share some notes in the moment, but Leadership Lessons from Silverstone GP Circuit. This sounds intriguing, Lee, but uh, before we talk about that, do you want to just give a bit of background in terms of who you are, business, personal, and so forth? That'd be great so our listeners can get a feel for who the personality is of Lee Phillips. Cool, that, that's, that's interesting, Royston. So yeah, I'm Lee Phillips. I'm the UK Fit Out uh, Managing Director of ISG. Um, I've been in the fit out industry in construction probably since I was a kid out of school. So, um, and I now run a business approximately about circa 500 million pounds of fit out in the UK, um, predominantly commercial workspace. Um, I'm part of the ISG group, which is about two and a half billion in 23 countries. So a robust leadership team um, that, that leads that. And that also comes into my personal life, I guess, which we're going to talk about. Somehow we've got to talk about motor racing in, in, in Silverstone. So um, very much a a family man, yes, I've got two grown-up children and um, spent most of my early days in my, my, my personal sporting life, which was a, which was a martial arts, um, and I retired from that when I was 42, so I needed something else, which, which gives you the hint of where we are. Well, I do want to pick up on that, because you are a world champion, fifth damn black belt in jiu-jitsu, you were part of the, the British team. Um, how long did you do that for? So I started when I was 15 and I retired when I was 42, but when I was 34... I did go to the World Championships in Madrid, um, and unfortunately, I won a world champion, but I, I did come fourth, uh, and the British team comes seventh, uh, which was absolutely amazing. So the experience of competing that, and from the age of 20, when I'd done my, uh, my black belt, um, and then it took me, God knows how many years, 22 years to obtain my fifth Dan uh, instructor t- title, but certainly now I've got too old for that, being smashed in the fall and punched in the face, so I'm, I, I do this job, Royston, instead. And how did you, so we are talking about leadership lessons from the Silverstone GP circuit. The backstory, how did you get involved in, in racing? So when I, finished, when I retired from jiu-jitsu, I, I probably needed something else from a competitive perspective. And I've always been interested in motorbikes and, and, and cars. And so I decided to take my uh, professional racing license. Um, and I started on a low-end motorsport. Uh, and I'd done that for a, a two or three seasons, very expensive. Um, but great knowledge base in terms of one being part of a team. So in terms of mechanics and getting cars ready uh, and, and marginal gains, I guess, um, even if you haven't got the best tools to work with, you can still marginally get yourself into positioning with a strategy as well. So I've done that for probably two or three years. And to be honest, yeah, it was really expensive. So I had a bit of a lull period up until probably six months ago. Uh, where a very good friend of mine, colleague, managing director of ISG, approached me to do something magnificent for children with autism. Um, and that was to raise circa 20 million, uh, 20, 20, 20,000 pounds um, uh, on a Silverson Formula One track at, uh, of a GP circuit. So, yeah. And it was a 24 hour race, wasn't it? It was absolutely bonkers. So firstly, I had to uh, reset my racing license, which I'll never let that expire again, because as we were older, it, it was really difficult to pass that, which I undertook at Brands Hatch. Um, then I had some open test days, and but I didn't have long to prepare from obtaining my license to compete uh, on the 21st of May at Silverstone um, in a professional touring car race, um, which was 24 hours. So yeah, so we had four drivers per car, two cars, 
Um, and this is where the strategy comes in, in terms of open track days, um, being part of a team, um, having people around you you didn't know who you could get the best of and being a racing driver, um, all you do is drive that car. The team do everything else in terms of communication, strategy, tyres, um, pressures, uh, what the strategy is in terms of the race circuit. Um, but the, the real, real challenge was then we had 61 cars on the circuit. Um, and some of these teams were they're, they're paid to do that, and they're part of. So Porsche would be there as British touring, British touring car racing drivers will be um, practicing through the C1 um, challenge. So let me get into the detail there because I know having had a convers- brief conversation with you about this, it, it was fascinating, and that's why I just wanted you to come on because I think there's so much that people can learn from this. So you had two teams, you had four drivers in each team, and you had some people who were really experienced. There were some professionals, there were some celebrities. How did you decide which four drivers went with which car? That's really, really interesting. So, um, yes, we did. We did have a, a, a celebrity drivers, um, but all eight drivers, in theory, were professional, professional racing drivers because they had a professional racing license. However, um, some of these some of these drivers done this for a living. Um, so the strategy was, what do we what do we roll out? This is a bit of fun for us. This is about us re- raising money for a great cause for, for the children. Um, we was never going to win this race, nowhere near it. So the main part is like, and in business too, in leadership, you know, it, it's never a sprint life. It's it's a marathon. You've got to get to get to the end. You've got to bring the car home. So to do one really fast lap, as you know, like in Formula One, but to get consistency um, is, is the key. So when we sat down, there was lots of debate. And being one of the novices, I'd like to say, um, it was interesting to sit back and see and listen to the, the, the competitive challenge of how they think the strategy would run. And that would be, why don't we put two fast drivers and two novices in, in each car? Because that would give us the open chance against the fleet. Um, and then it went, well, no, why don't, why don't we put three on one? So it was decided um, that we were the four fastest drivers the elite should we call them should all go in car number one because that will be the fastest chance from a perspective of leadership and bringing the car around and we can put all of the other dummies call us in in car b um and um we would we would run that strategy so i went along with the game and um that's how we come up with the strategy of, of the race right so you had four elite drivers in one car and then the less experienced we were i'll change the term dummies because <laughs> 24 hour fast as a dummy but you put the four less experienced drivers drivers in in the other car absolutely and then then how did you so it's 24 hours and i love your expression about you've got to bring the car home so it is classic tortoise and hey you can't come out the blocks like a you know and really really drive the car too hard because you are you've got to get to 24 hours what was what was so you had the strategy for the two teams what was then the approach to the strategy for the 24 hour race with your team Absolutely. So the first part of it was obviously, like you see in Formula One, was testing. Once we got through testing, it was about qualifying. And because, as you know, a 24-hour race generally means there's a large proportion of driving that needs to be done in in absolute darkness. It's not a Singapore race, so therefore Silverstone track is not illuminated. So you've got your headlights and some LED lights. And I can assure everybody on this podcast now that is absolutely terrifying at 120 mile an hour coming into a red and white apex with a few torches at the bottom end of your bumper. Um, so the strategy then was that was quite scary. So then when we looked at the four of us in, in our car, when you've done two hours each, um, three, three slots. So there's your 24 hours. So we tried to categorize out some people that felt more comfortable in some of the driving slots and timing. So 
One of the points that I was, um, and then you consider the strategy about tire changes, fuel changes, and also about the burn uh, of the tire and uh, degradation um, across the tire throughout different temperatures of the track. So all of that strategy was in place. Um, the team that looked after our car was from Edinburgh University. So it was an amazing team of engineers, um, training engineers, mechanics um, that run that whole strategy of the car. So we'd done our testing, we'd done our qualifying. Um, we was in the bottom, bottom part of the qualifying pack, which was fine. Um, and we was all ready to go. Crash helmets, cleans, dinner, garages set up. And we, our sleeping patterns meant if you could get an hour and a half, two hours sleep in 24, you was doing really well. Because every other slot you got, you just couldn't sleep with the adrenaline and the concentration. Oh, God, I can, I can imagine. And then, um, so what I'm hearing is, even within the 24 hours, it was about playing to people's strengths and who felt more comfortable driving in pitch black dark and who was better in the daylight and you know who, who was maybe a night owl, but who was a, a morning person. So all that came into consideration. Which slots did you get? I'm intrigued. Oh, that's interesting. So I was in slot two, uh, which really worked for me. I was, I was really, really interested in that. And our celebrity driver in the other car, and I'll come to this, was in, in position one um, of the other car. So that's before we actually started the race. So when he come in after his first return, two hours, I was going out. And I'll come on to that, what that meant in terms of timings, leadership, uh, and the outcome. Fantastic. So there's a lot of work that goes into strategy. So, you know, if you flip that over from a business perspective, the importance of strategy and getting your pre-planning right, how much how much focus and emphasis do you put on that versus so the I, execution? If I compare that to my business here, um, I've got five, just circa 500 staff from management and maybe operatives on sites, maybe three to 4,000, it, it, it varies. Um, the strategy has got to be applied from the front. It's got to be supported. It's got to be bought into. Um, and, and it's got to be led with conviction because and trust. Because um, if I didn't trust the person that was harnessing me in or the fuel or the change, um, th that, that could be a severe impact to, to your personal health and, and life as well. Um, so I think um, once we got the strategy right in terms of the, the support from the mechanics, etc., we was ready to go. The garage was set up right. We, the, the, even the catering people was doing our food at the right time, allowing us to get the, the, the hour and a half, two hours maybe sleeping. Our crash helmets was cleans and so on and so on. So everyone had a role to play and therefore no one should step over the guidelines. Um, even some of the regulations around when the car was coming in to be refueled, you could not go over that red line until the fire marshal uh, and the changeover from drivers at the relay. Um, you would be disqualified. So there were certain rules, regulations, guidelines, governance, all of those sort of things you had to follow um, to comply and still to achieve the overall goal. And that could be business or, or racing the car around Silverstone. It didn't really matter, actually. So here's a question for you. Got it. Did you set a goal as a team about what you wanted to achieve at the end of the 24 hours or where you wanted to come in or what, what, was, the, what was the outcome that you were looking to, to achieve collectively? So my initial primary outcome was to raise money and look people in the eye that sponsored us for those those lovely children. That, that was my overall outcome. My next part of the outcome would be to work as a team. And that means the widened team as well from the mechanics, et cetera, to do our utmost, our very best in terms of against our ability, against a, a stack of 
um, teams that was out on the grid. Um, and then finally, being a competitive person, I've always been, and if that's in business or if that if that's in in my my fighting years, um, I guess would be to do myself proud and and get and get marginal gain. And and, and I'll just come on to that because Kevin Dengate and Tom Smith are two business colleagues of mine, but two good friends of mine. Um, and amazing racing drivers. And, and I started my time out on the track. And those of you who are into motorsport, a second is a hell of a lot. And I started my testing times out at three minutes, 18 seconds around Silverstone in a, a track that I've really never driven across the Formula One circuit. And in a car, pretty much I had minimal amount of experience. I, I prefer open top racing, so no roof, basically. So a bit like a Formula Three or a Jaguar Le Mans type thing. Um, but this was a tin top. So it was a roof, small car, small power. Small brake horsepower, actually. So, therefore, you didn't have the power to get you out in recovery. So, it was about strategy of taking the car into the most maximum speed, coming through a, a section smoothly, and carrying the speed in terms of recovery. So, that's a bit like a business as well, actually. A business not being clunky, you know, and operating in an in, in a, a efficient manner. So, I guess I started at 3.18, and I would be absolutely delighted if I could get my times down to 3.15. In tested... Um, the, the other pro experienced driver said to me, look, you've got three 12s in there, Lee. You could really get a 12 out. With six seconds is absolutely huge. Yeah. So I hit a three, three 12 in testing. Our crash on our cars was put away and we was getting prepared for the race. So three 12 was my, my fastest slot. So if we talk, talk about what does good look like, so three 12 to this, the audience probably don't mean anything unless you compare it to a Formula One car when you watch it at Silverstone. I think it's in the next two weeks. Um, so I'll come on to the finishing speed at the end of the day as we go through the chat. Oh, I like how you just let that little, uh, left that little carrot dangling there in terms of uh, a nice little open loop, open loop in there. Well, you mentioned golden nuggets, so I'm just trying to give you one or two. Yeah, no, I love it, love it, love it. So we'll make sure we close the loop on that one. I'm intrigued because you came together to do this particular race with you know, mechanics and a support team that you didn't know. You were racing a car with three co-drivers in the team. How, you know, normally when you talk about teamness and working together as a team, you spent a lot of time together, you know, you've, you've gone through the storming, the norming. How did you for a race come together and, and kind of get aligned and, you know, on the same values and on the same page and, and get enthused and motivated and support each other when you hadn't spent any time together? How did you get that, that teamness and that unity? Well, we only met actually in my, let's just say the, the four drivers in my car, uh, there was myself and Tom and the other two drivers I've never met before. So we even only met on, on that first testing point and, and the drivers in the other car, including the celebrity, uh, who's a British touring car racing driver. Um, we, we all come together. We had a briefing with ourselves. Um, we'd done some forming, storming, norming, uh, recorrecting, had a bit of banter because ultimately one that I haven't mentioned for this podcast is, is fun. And, you know, none of us was going to win the, the, the world championships in the Formula One. But what we was going to do is raise some money for the children and, and put a smile on their face. Right. And that's important in business and in and in, in our personal life. So um, we, we done that and we had briefings with the mechanics teams. We all sat around a big table. Coffee was on hand. We had a bit of banter um, and we had two options. Right. Which is to form ourselves really quickly. Yeah. And uh, or not. Um, so there was so much information to take in from the, from the data tagging on your on your on your watch thing going out on the circuit to there was no communication through the crash on the So unlike Formula One, the only time you got communication was that pit bull wall that 
the ball that went out through through the wall. Yeah. Well, on the fastest straight coming into a very fast corner, which you don't lift off the pedal at that corner, you are flat out through there. It's quite difficult to read three or four balls with information on. Um, and and I can assure you, we'll try to do it in the dark. It's even more difficult. Yeah. So um yeah. I'm really intrigued by the whole. But did you did you create any values or behaviours, or did you set any principles that you were going to ad adopt? I mean, I love the one about having fun. That's important. Yeah, we did. We we set some behaviours. We, we probably didn't do uh you know guiding principles, uh, or we, and we didn't do an expectation exchange. We didn't go that deep. But what yeah. we did do is say, what do, what do we really want to? Act? What's our outputs from this? What, what have we got to try and achieve? And obviously, the first one I mentioned at the start of this is bring the car home. The next one would be bring the car home and yourself safely. Um, you know, because it was very easy to take a spin. Um, and I'm leading into something now because you, you mentioned something earlier on about flipping, which I picked up on. So um, or rolling or something like that. So I'll come on to that. So there was some there was some briefs uh, discussed and I guess a little bit and it was daunting. And I guess business can leadership can be a bit daunting sometimes. But it was also about having trust, believing in yourself um, and doing the right thing. And if you don't do the right thing, in other words, you took a spin, you found yourself coming off the track. If, if you could do it safely, get back on, learn from your mistakes and go again. And when we changed over drivers, you had probably five seconds between crash helmet to crash helmet to do a briefing to the next driver that was going out for his two-hour stint. Yeah. So talk to about this rolling. What's the, uh, what's the, what's, what's the story behind this, this rolling? Well, I think, you know, people on the podcast now are probably think just get to the point. You know, what, what is it, where's this story going? It's about a racetrack. Well done. You raised some money. And it is about leadership and having fun. But, I, I guess I should get to the punchline. So I'm going to take you back to the strategy. Celebrity driver, four drivers, they're going to be the elites. Four novices. So all of the focus was clearly on the elites. So celebrity driver goes out in car one. He's an hour into his race in 61 cars and rolls it. Shit. Not only rolls it, can't get back onto the right side. So the race is red, uh, yellow flags. And the recovery truck is out and it brings the car back in. The car rolled two or three times with the roll bar. It was OK. He was OK. Thank Christ. And uh, but the state of the car was somewhat, let's say, a more it was something you wouldn't get with a bit of polish. would get out the state of the car to the bodywork. At that time, the lorry brought the car in and I was about on the second driver to go back out to my my, my first in, of which the mechanics turned my crash helmet and said, don't look at that car because mentally it's not a great place to leave you in to go out onto a race circuit. So I found myself, all of it, going into auto drive, forgetting all the leadership principles, forgetting all of the values and the expectations and forgetting all what I needed to do. So I pretty much went into auto drive and I found myself people sw swarming over me like ants, putting four-point harnesses on, getting my car ready, fuel, tyres, um, pressures, etc. And before you know it, I'm being rolled backwards out onto the pit lane. And when you hear two bangs on that roof of the metal car, that was you, go, go, go. But you need to comply with the speed restrictions in the pit lane as well and your data tagging, all whilst you're joining a fast rate of 61, 60 cars coming down at you. So that was quite daunting. However, so therefore, the car that was rolled, our fastest car, with the fastest strategy, with the fastest mechanics, was having their car treated in the garage to make it roadworthy to go back out. So if the fastest car was three sec seconds a lap quicker than the slowest car, and the car's delayed for 15 minutes on a rebuild, that's a lot of laps to catch up. Yeah. So already the initial strategy was set out, and let's put our four fastest cars, was starting to unfold 
in the wrong way. Got it. So therefore, the race concluded. We put our best foot forward. 61 cars, 24 hours later. Lots of bits of chocolate and sugar rushes to keep us awake. I grabbed an hour and a half sleep in a sleeping bag in, a, in the back of a van, which was quite nice. We had a van or a motorhome, a small motorhome to comply with. Some of the race teams had pop-out boxes. The last time I looked, I thought it was the C1 championships, not the Formula 1 F1 championships. So there was millions of pounds involved in people taking this very, very seriously. So all I can say is the 3.18 lap times that I started with went down to 3.15. We talk about marginal gain. And then I found myself competing with the other seven drivers of coming down to sub three tens. Wow. So to come back into it, a 3.09, which was absolutely incredible. So I guess I'm now into the maybe the top third to middle pack of, the, of, of that whole circuit of which blew me away. I, I was feeling the cars, feeling the team. The confidence was raining. Marginal gaze was improving. I was looking at the response in terms of the car. Our track positioning was improving. And, uh, and I was really enjoying it. It was fantastic. So to come out of that personally and to achieve a personal best of probably one of the fastest drivers in terms of the novice or, or no intermediate, I'd say. So I started at 3.18. My fastest lap time was three minute, five seconds dead. Wow. So that was absolutely incredible. So for me, that was a real achievement and, um, and something that I'll, you know, I'll remember forever. But the collaboration of the people together, it was quite emotional, Royston, actually. Um, and when we finished the race, because I'm going to leave you with the, the, the highlight of, of this story. Um, we finished the race. Um, I don't know how much weight we all lost in those racing suits. No one was hurt. We raised £24,000 for the children in a, for a 24-hour race. Wow. The, I've gained new friends. I've gained better friendship with the friends and colleagues I already had. Um, and the people and the mechanics that we still keep in touch with was absolutely incredible. I've never seen people work in a collaborative way from tyre changes to repairing the car, getting us out there. We brought both cars home, which is incredible. And I probably my, my, probably my lessons in this is if you set a strategy sometimes and it doesn't work, like Team 1, 61 cars, Team 1, our fastest elites finished in 48th position which is remarkable on the basis that we don't do this full time. But the novices who didn't roll in the first couple of laps, didn't have tyre uh, and, and, uh, and, and damage to the car. We got the car home, but there was no mean by poodling around. We finished 34th. 34th? So the novices had the fastest output. We brought the car home. So we won in terms of that in our own little minds because we always was made to feel that if they can just finish this thing, they've done well, um, was incredible. So I think that was a lessons learned for me in terms of how I can apply a, a new sporting thing that gives me pleasure. I'm not necessarily going to earn money out of it, but really just makes me feel that I'm alive and that I can do something that, that, that gives me that reward. Um, but applying them principles to, to my day's business life is not always sometimes about winning. It's not always about getting the strategy right every time. What it is about, it's about collaboration. It's about trust, integrity. It's about doing the right thing. And it's about believing in yourself as well. So um, I've got to say, an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life. Uh, and and you, there's two things you want to pick up on, Lee. One was about, you talked about, about confidence and not just in car racing or in the business that you do, 
you know, how important is that whole momentum around confidence? And you talked about 318 was the benchmark and people would challenge you to get to 315. How important is that, is that confidence in those marginal gains? Those two things working together. How did that help you get ultimately to, to three minutes, five seconds? I've got to be honest with you, I, I didn't focus at all. Uh, you know, we always talk somewhat, sometimes about in business about, you know, what, what you're doing, you know, how you're doing it and why you're doing it. And we've always talked about reversing that. You, you start yourself why. Uh, and the why for me was not getting why do you need to get down to three minute, five seconds. That, that was I didn't even know I'd done it, actually. So that weren't my principal goal. Um, my principal goal was just, um, yeah, confidence, believing in yourself, uh, pushing boundaries, pushing boundaries. And, and even in that car, sometimes I knew I've got a couple of things wrong, but learn by it quickly and learn and don't do it again. Um, and, it, and and for me, it's about and it, it, when I was teaching at jujitsu or competing, doesn't matter. It, it's all about, you know, it's not always about winning world championships. It's not always about and I, I've got the most amazing business here with. Um, so an amazing leadership team from, from the board, as well as my, my divisional directors and clusters. And they all do things differently. And it's about, you know, just putting your best foot forward and doing your best and, and, and believing your, your and, and taking accountability of it um, and supporting each other, I guess, because we all need support in different times of our lives. Yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing story. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Oh, God. Three really key if you were to summarize three key principles that come out of that whole experience that were your key takeaways what what would they be how would you package those up uh teamwork friendship marginal gains yeah i love it what a great way to end the uh interview on lee it's been fantastic to have you on there are lots of golden nuggets in there i love the whole uh thoughts about bringing the car home and just to end on i want to share a, a quick story that um I was doing an event a couple of weeks ago with Louis Rudd, who is uh, he's ex-SAS. He's um, walked across the Antarctic three times. And on one of the expeditions that they did crossing the Antarctic, one of the things he talked about was they weren't first to get to the Antarctic. And um, what he figured out was if they'd walked 11 steps further each day on the journey towards the Antarctic, they would have been first. And I think your, your point there about marginal gains is such a key point that what if you're just pushing your comfort zone every single day? What are the extra 11 steps that you can do, whether it's picking up the phone, whether it's, you know, having that conversation that you weren't going to have? What are the 11 steps that you can do every single day that just catapult you forward and make the difference? And, you know, that's a, that's a great example of marginal gains as well. Absolutely. So Lee, uh, thank you so much for coming on on Talking Pathways. I'm sure our listeners will have got some real value. And as always with Talking Pathways, what is the one or two golden nuggets that you're taking away that will help you to be a better leader, help you to be better in your personal life, help you to be more successful professionally, because that's what Talking Pathways is all about. So from Lee and I, until next time, goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you all.